Hola, welcome to Dismantling Diet Culture. Fuck being calladita, the only Spanglish anti-diet podcast that teaches you from a sociological lens, feminism, and intuitive eating coaching to dismantle diet culture. I'm your host, Dr. Hortense Jimenez, and I am passionate about dismantling diet culture and helping you heal your relationship with food and your body. I'm a mother, daughter, comadre, amiga, community member, professor, health coach, and published author. On this show, I share my personal experience with diet culture, tips and strategies, and educational content to help you understand diet culture and systems of oppression so that you can have the tools to challenge diet culture. Current and future generations do not deserve to inherit your diet culture trauma, and I'm here to help you. If you're on a mission to hear your body and food traumas and embody your authentic self unapologetic, welcome to Dismantling Diet Culture. Fuck being calladita. Hola, welcome to another episode of Dismantling Diet Culture. Fuck being calladita. This is Dr. Hortensia Jimenez. In today's episode, I am going to share um, why I'm so passionate about dismantling diet culture and how it connects to my life and my experience, my story, my narrative, mi historia, mi narrativa, mis experiencias. Why? It is so important to center our lived experiences as sites of production of knowledge and theory. That is actually feminist standpoint theory. And at the premise of feminist standpoint theory is this idea of validating our own experiences as legitimate and sources of knowledge production. And I want to use this framework to guide today's episode in really centering on our narratives, on our experiences, while I will share my experience with diet culture and allow myself to be vulnerable. I have to be honest and say that I'm a little anxious. I'm a little nervous um, because it's very intimate um, what I'm going to share with you. But I think it is important. Um, people say that being vulnerable is courageous. <laughs> and I guess I'm, I have a very courageous heart. <laughs> and I hope that what I, what I share today helps you understand a little bit more the intersections of the work that I do as a sociology professor, as an intuitive eating coach, and, you know, just as a human being. And the experiences that I'm going to share with you may not resonate with your life, and that is okay. That is not my intention. I hope that you are able to hold me in this space as I share part of my story. I hope that you're able to um, nurture me with love as you listen to what I have to share with you, because it's not easy. Some of the stuff that I will share is not easy. I will share as much as I feel comfortable with. There's a lot of things that I probably won't share, but I want to share some key things. I first want to begin by acknowledging the land. I live in Monterey County, the home of the Ohlone, Costanoa, and Esalen Nation. I am from Huichol ancestry. I was born in the Sierra Madre of the state of Nayarit, Mexico. I'm proud of my indigenous roots. 
and I carry them with with me and I try to embody embody that to the best of my knowledge and my own authenticity and connection to my ancestors. Uh, just briefly, you know, I'm an immigrant. I came to the United States when I was a child. I came undocumented. I was separated from my parents and my siblings, and I wasn't able to go to Mexico for several years because I was undocumented. And, uh, you know, that definitely shaped my childhood. <laughs> ah, this is hard. It is hard to feel displaced, to feel separated from your family and, um, you know, the traumas and the wounds that it leaves, the scars for life. I am in my 40s and I came here when I was a child and it still hurts to even share parts of my immigrant story. And I think that's all I can share right now. Otherwise, I think I'll just be a mess and just cry. <laughs> and we don't want an episode where I just cry. <laughs> so, um, by just sharing that briefly, it's so important because I am a Mexicana immigrante. Soy Latina. Soy mujer. I use different labels interchangeably. And we're going to have another episode in the future where we talk about labels and identity and really how it connects also to diet culture. But for now, I want you to know that I identify with many labels and um, they're fluid, but I will always say that I am um, Latina, I am Mexican, I'm an immigrant from indigenous background. For me, my lived experience in sharing this with you is so important because I want you to know why I do what I do in this platform, in this podcast, on social media, and my passion for dismantling diet culture and to bring awareness of the harmful effects of this industry because I have gone through this firsthand. And I have also seen it in my community and I see it in society. So I want to center it on a couple of frameworks. Number one is feminist standpoint theory. And feminist standpoint theory, uh, the premise of this is that we should and be able to um, theorize that our lived experiences are the sites of production of knowledge. And it really validates our experiences as legitimate sources of knowledge. And in many ways, this challenges diet culture because diet culture silences us, silences our experiences. It asks us to shrink and not take space. And feminist standpoint theory is saying your life, your experience matters. And this is my invitation to you in this episode for, for today, that while I will share my experience with diet culture, it may resonate with you and it may not, and that is okay. My experience is my unique experience and it is real. And so is yours. My experience is not better or more important than your own experience. All experiences are valid. And so from an ancestral uh, connection or ancestral wisdom, that's what we need to tap into that our lived experiences, through them, we can share and theorize and help others. 
And so um, that's what I wanted to say about feminist standpoint theory. I also want to bring um, Gloria Ansaldúa. She was such an amazing queer um, Chicana lesbian who came up with a lot of frameworks. And there's two concepts that I want to use here. One of them is Nepantla. And Nepantla, the way that Gloria Ansaldúa theorizes, is this in-between space, this sort of unspoken, visible, invisible, ambiguous, ambiguous space where we live that is in constant shift, constant movement. So it's very fluid. There's a lot of negotiation, realignment, alignment in this Nepantla state. And I feel like that I've lived in this Nepantla state all my life since I came to this country in this in-between of being in the United States from my heart, my connection back in Mexico with my family. In this in-between space of being literally in between my mother and my grandmother and aunt, like the rivalry, the conflict between the families. And I am still in that in-between space. So I've lived in this in-between spaces all my life. I consider myself like a transnational immigrant of kind of going back and forth to Mexico and the United States and being able to kind of navigate both spaces, like the physical border and the spiritual borders, <laughs> the psychological borders, etc. So that is Nepantla. And it's messy and it's nonlinear. So I really want to thank and uplift Gloria Saldúa for coining this term of Nepantla. Because you know what? That is actually the reality. It's very normal for a lot of us to be in this Nepantla state. And that is okay. Constant negotiation and movement. Like, it's not really like a balance. Another concept she uses is la facultad. And she says that la facultad is a deeper level of cognition that one can achieve through self-reflection. And really digging deep below the surface. Like excavating deep down. So all of us here have the ability to develop La Facultad. And for her, for Gloria, it was a tool, a tool for marginalized people to resist the detrimental and the oppressive messages Imposed by society, imposed by family, imposed by religion, imposed by everyone. So having the facultad is going deep and dismantling the internalized beliefs. And so dismantling diet culture, fuck being calladita. What am I doing? I'm using la facultad to do this because I have come to a place in my life over the years where I realized what diet culture is, how it works, how it functions, and its damaging effects in society. So I invite you to continue to develop your faculta, to disrupt those messages, 
to question the messages that you have internalized, that you have normalized as truth. Okay? So just kind of wanted to center on that. And the last thing I want to say before I begin is that this podcast is really centered around BIPOC folks, queer folks, and body diversity. So I'm coming as a cisgender female. I'm coming here as a woman of color. I'm coming here as a queer woman. And that's all I can share right now because I have multiple marginalized identities and I want to let you know that it's okay to share as much or as little as we want about our own sexual and gender identities. But I am a queer woman of color. And that saying that to you is um, recognizing my vulnerability, my fear, and all the different emotions that are going through my mind and my body right now. Uh, part of dismantling diet culture in my own life has has been actually, you know, coming out later in life to my family. So uh, I want to share here the intersection of my immigrant experience coming from a working class background and not being able to actually be my authentic self um, growing up. So what is the connection between, um, you know, diet culture and my experience, you know, my life? Well, I want to begin by uh, talking about body image and food because those were central um, things in my upbringing. I come from a um, traditional Catholic home, and by that I mean it's like going to church every Sunday, praying um, the rosary and a lot of different stuff that I had to do growing up and up until I was actually... um, 17, when I went off to the university. So I grew up in a very strict Catholic home that had a big impact on how I viewed my body, how I treated my body. So if you recall back on one of the first episodes of What is Diet Culture and the Institution of Religion had a big impact in shaping my relationship with my body, how I viewed it and the messages that I received And I want to talk about that. So growing up, I was raised uh, with this idea that, you know, that children didn't have a voice and that we should just listen to our elders and basically not talk back. Um, Where basically no había voz ni voto. There was no voice and no voting in the process and the decision making of anything. Um, and that is all actually very oppressive. So being silenced and feeling like you didn't have a voice really shaped, you know, my childhood. And then externally, if we look at society, you know, the anti-immigrant rhetoric in our country about immigrants, about immigrant women, Latina immigrant women, 
these very oppressive uh, narratives. I don't want to mention them right now, but the framing of immigrants, the framing of immigrant bodies, specifically women, like listening to all that um, really affects your self-image and how you're viewed in society. And then you hear messages at home by family about their own fears of being undocumented, things that we could, could not do because we were undocumented, the fear, the anxiety. So growing up undocumented, and even though it was for a few years, it does not take away my experience and my traumas. So even though I was undocumented for several years, it had a lasting impact in my life. Because I wasn't able to go see my family in Mexico, I wasn't able to do a lot of things um, here in the United States. Kids in school would bully me. I um, didn't speak English. I still remember vividly, um, you know, girls... Uh, Mexican-American girls who would bully me, who would verbally say things to me and physically. Um, Anyway, that's pretty sad. (laughs) I don't want to cry, but it was hard. And I felt like I felt, you know, alone because I only had my grandmother and my aunt. They didn't speak English. My grandmother, who passed away last year, was a fierce and strong lady who didn't know how to write or read in Spanish, but she managed. But my grandmother was also extremely oppressive. And, um, se me pone un nudo en la garganta porque me duele tanto, tanto el ver perdido a mi abuelita. Losing my grandmother has been extremely painful because I feel like part of me died with my grandmother because she raised me. She was like my second mother. And y'all, okay, all this has has a connection with diet culture (laughs) because family as an institution is one of the primary um, places where we learned messages about our bodies right and purity and all that and I learned it at home I learned it from my grandmother I learned it from my aunt I learned it from my mother I learned it from a lot of women in my life and so the women that are supposed to love us and care for us can also hurt us you know it's messy (laughs) And, you know, I have come to terms, but when I was a child, when I was a teenager, man, there's no way that I could come to terms with that. I had so much anger and so much resentment. I felt caged, literally caged. I wasn't allowed to go out with friends. I... um, I wasn't allowed to do a lot of things or even be in sports. I was only in cross country in high school. So when I tell you that I felt uh, caged, I literally felt like I could not do anything. Mm, this, uh, This is a form of social control, controlling women's bodies, controlling my sexuality, 
my gender expression, everything, what I could do, what I couldn't do, what I could say, what I could dress, etc. So that really had a big impact in my childhood and my teenage years. That oppression that I um, had to go through as a child and as a teenager that was imposed at home and enforced at church. So I am Catholic. I believe in God. But the relationship that I have with God now is very different from the one I had when I was a child or when I was a teenager. And that is okay. But I was scared. I was scared of God. (laughs) Because of all the messages that I received from the church and the message that I received at home. And you know what? That a lot of that still haunts me. So there's a lot of unpacking and a lot of healing that I'm still doing and that I'm still working on. Another part that I want to share about my um, my life that had a big impact with my body. And, you know, this is a trigger warning in advance. I experienced a child sexual abuse and I was also raped. And that really, really impacted how I viewed my body because I was raised that uh, my worth was based on my virginity. The notion of purity was instilled in me. And when that's taken away from you, you feel like shit. You feel unworthy. There's a lot of, you know, feelings that you go through. If you experienced child abuse and you were raped, no fue tu culpa. No fue tu culpa. And so one of the ways that I actually coped with all that stuff was by uh, trying not to take space. There's different ways that um, survivors cope. And for me was um, like not eating. And, you know, I have an ancestral connection with my hair. Like long, you know, I have a spiritual connection with my ancestors and braiding my hair every night. And I went through a lot when I was in high school because of this uh, that happened to me. And one of the things I did um, or, you know, of self-harm was actually um, um, cutting my hair like completely bald. That was one of my ways that I could rebel and kind of take ownership of my body. I remember my aunt like running to the salon and being like, no, no te peles el cabello, no te lo cortes. And I was like, I'm going to do this. Like I had so much anger, like I had so much inside of me and I couldn't release that anywhere. Right. And I took it on me, all that anger, everything that I was feeling, I took it on me. And um, me cortaron el cabello a rapa. I was bald my senior year of high school. And you know what? No one knew about this. I actually wore a wig for like a couple months until my hair grew out. And I share this with you because um, my sexual abuse and rape had a big impact on how I was treating my body and what I was able to do you know, to it. 
So I um, ask that you take care of yourself as you're listening to this. If it triggers you in any way, you know, you can step away and then come back to this episode whenever you're ready. Because it's real shit that does happen. And this is just the iceberg. <laughs> um, you know, and also restricting myself from eating. I would say I, I ate in school when in reality I didn't eat. I wanted to kind of disappear, to be invisible. It's crazy. Be invisible in a hyper-visible home that surveils your body all the time. What my family tried to protect which was my purity and my virginity, was taken away from me. So that really shaped my body image and shaped um, how I treated my body and what I ended up engaging and doing when I got to the university in terms of like, um, you know, getting involved in uh, excruciating, painful <laughs> fitness uh, activities in the gym, like torturing my body, <laughs> And I kind of laugh it off because, uh, I mean, it is it was painful. I didn't treat my body with compassion. I didn't know how to treat my body with compassion and care. So kind of moving fast forward, you know, I my father passed away in, in 1998 when I was going to... Uh, enter my second year at the university, my sophomore year. And I had to make a big decision in my life. I either stayed in Mexico or, or continue my education in the United States. Sharing this with you is hard. I had to make a decision. It was a tough decision. I decided to continue my studies, to continue my education, because I already had sacrificed so much being away from my family, you know, when I was a child. And I was already in the university. And so I share this with you because it's for the first time that I felt that I had a voice. That I actually could decide something about my life. I was, um, was going to turn uh, 18, I think. It's like a blur because it's so painful. <laughs> And that's where I felt like I had agency, like I had power to be like, you know, this is what I'm going to do from now on. And it was, of course, really difficult to leave my family again and decide to continue my studies in, in the university. And I went through, um, you know, my college years but long story short, I uh, didn't have a good relationship with fitness either. You know, the idea of earning your food and burning off your food. I was a I was an expert on doing that, on restricting, on trying different diets. That was part of my early, um, you know, 20s. And then when I got to my graduate program for my PhD, um, Somehow I got involved in, and I say in quotes here, in the clean eating movement, <laughs> in the organic movement, and like not eating processed packaged food, food that had food coloring. Yep, I was that proponent. Tire 
casi todas las cosas que tenían este food coloring. I try not to buy a lot of processed food. I really bought into that idea. And that idea of healthifying food, of placing food in a hierarchy and shaming others because they weren't eating clean. And I say clean entre comillas, right? In quotations, clean eating. So I moved from my um, early 20s of doing different diets, fruit restriction, um, and technically really penalizing my body for what I was eating and burning it off at the gym to moving into like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm eating healthy. <laughs> I'm not eating packaged food. I am not eating food that has any food coloring. And you should be doing the same thing. And I was telling this to family. I felt like morally superior. And, you know, I am very honest with you. And I'm embarrassed to say this. But you know what? It takes recognition and accountability of the harm. And I can't tell you that it happened from one day to another. It was years, you know, that I slowly moved away from that very dogmatic way of thinking and seeing food in this hierarchy and placing a moral value and then shaming family. I was that person. And I did my training to become a health coach, and that's where things started to change. This was about 10 years ago. So it's been like 10 years of unpacking uh, the internalized narratives about food and, you know, my own internalized oppression of what I went through as a child and as a teenager. So I've done a lot of hard work all my life, but really it's been in the last decade where I've been slowly dismantling these diet culture narratives and allowing myself to explore different foods, allowing myself the vulnerability to actually explore those traumas that have impacted my sense of identity, my self-concept as a a queer woman. So fast forward... (laughs) um, One big thing that I want to share with you is that um, when my grandmother passed away, it's going to be a year this coming March, and I really want to send her my grandmother because I consider my grandmother as a, uh, yeah, as a matriarch. She was my last living huichol. So like losing her is like I lost that connection, you know, to my ancestors. It's like crazy. I don't know if you can like feel that or understand that. It's like part of me like died with her. And I want to be super honest with you uh, and center this as well is what died with my grandmother or what I let go, what I released was the oppression. Well, I've been releasing that oppression for many years, but that heteronormative oppression, my heterosexuality I released that with my grandmother. That's why it's it's been so, so painful. I've been coming out for years. It's been years of me coming out. And this last year has been the toughest. I've been in dark places. Trigger warning. I have been suicidal. Coming out to closest 
people in my life, family, and friends has kind of saved me. I've had a very supportive circle of family and friends who have been able to hold me in this journey. And it hasn't been easy because it has meant to dismantle a lot of the oppressive ideas. I was always a queer girl. Always. I was just never allowed to be one. I was never allowed to be me in the first place. And um, I'm here to tell you that it's never too late. It's never too late to try to be your authentic self. And I believe that because I'm uh, living proof and I'm still working. Yeah, this is not easy. I'm still working to unpack a lot of the internalized depression by diet culture. A lot of um, oppression that has manifested itself in, you know, and even in our everyday life. So the experiences that I had growing up as a child, teenager, and adult shape everything else. Your relationships that you have with other people, it shapes like um, you know, your self-concept, your self-image, um, your work. It manifests itself in so many ways. Whew. So sharing this with you um, is with the intention to really understand that Diet culture is more than this like wellness industry. Understanding that diet culture is uh, a system and systems and structures and a society that are enforced by different institutions that ultimately want us to shrink our bodies, want us to fixate on our bodies, want us to distract ourselves. <laughs> from other things in society and f the hyper focus that there is something wrong with us and that we need to be fixed. Esa es una mentira. Es una mentira que me creí por muchos años de mi vida. Así es de que estoy aquí para recordarte Que no hay nada malo contigo. Absolutamente nada. Eres una persona normal. Pero hemos normalizado tantas ideologías opresivas que las tomamos como normales y no las cuestionamos. In sharing my experience with diet culture, it's also very important to acknowledge that um, why I hold uh, different marginalized identities, I also hold privileged ones that I have a uh, profession, um, I'm a professional, I have an occupation, I am educated, I am middle class, I speak English, I am able-bodied. These are just some of the privileges that I hold in addition to being thin. So... While this is my experience with diet culture, there's so many different layers, right, that I need to continue to unpack. And while I unpack the oppression, I also need to be mindful of the privileges that I hold 
so that I don't cause harm to others. Because we can't just stay in our marginalized identities and not recognize that there are some privileged ones. And also that while we may have some marginalized identities, some are visible and some are not visible. And that we get to decide. We get to decide how much to share about those marginalized identities because not everyone has the privilege. So even me, you know, not thinking about like, as we end this episode, are you having the courage to basically come out to you in this episode? I wasn't intending to do so, but bueno, pues ya, ya lo hice, no? <laughs> ya lo hice y no, no puedo regresar. Sí, bueno, sí puedo regresar y editar esta parte, no? Pero no, es importante dejarla porque es parte de mi historia, es forma parte de la persona que soy. Pero también es importante reconocer que tengo privilegios y tengo una responsabilidad. So we have a responsibility to recognize the privileges that we carry of our identities, either be allies or accomplices in dismantling diet culture and not take space because of those identities that we carry. So yo me comprometo aquí con ustedes y en mi plataforma. I am committed to decentering my thinness. I am committed to decentering some of the privileges that I hold so that I don't cause harm. And that's the intention of this podcast. I want to bring in guests, BIPOC queer guests, to talk about their experiences with diet culture and the areas of expertise, the work that they're doing in the community to end systems of oppression, to end racism, fatphobia, homophobia, transphobia, ableism, etc. I end this episode. I want to thank you once again for holding space for me as I shared vulnerable parts of my life with you. I'm excited for the future episodes that are coming. I have amazing guests. So stay tuned y muchísimas gracias por acompañarme. Muchas gracias por acompañarme en Dismantling Diet Culture, Fuck Being Calladita Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Especially be sure to rate and review the podcast if you really like it. If you leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, you become eligible for a free 30-minute coaching session. That's right. Así como escuchaste, one free session. Once you leave your review, you can screenshot it and email it to me and I'll send you a link to sign up. If you didn't like it, don't worry. Así está bien. Follow me on social media, on Instagram and TikTok at Dr. Hortensia Jimenez.